Welcome to the first Woody Wealth podcast. I'm Anuj, the founder of Woody Wealth. We're a community that helps tech stock investors build confidence in their abilities. I'm here today with my good friend, Turner Novak. Uh, he spends his days being a venture capitalist at Gelt VC, and he's known at night for his in-depth analysis and memes on consumer tech. Uh, you can interact with him on Twitter, at Turner Novak. Turner, welcome. Thanks, Anuj. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Well, thanks for being the first guest and being willing to pressure. be this guinea pig. So uh, right now, I'm doing this thing called the Witty Transparency Fund. I'm trying to understand a stock and analyze something in depth to understand what's going on. I put out a post each day and then people send back their comments and in return helps us figure out where we want diligence next. Right now, we're looking into Uber. And with you, Turner, you've been thinking about Uber, tweeting about Uber since the IPO. You've been bullish. Last time you tweeted about them, you said you had 7% or so of your money behind Uber and want to understand why. So just here to riff and probably not your traditional podcast interview. I, I didn't even realize I had 7% in it. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, in, it's in my IRA. So it's not something I'm trading often. It's kind of a longer term thing. Gotcha. Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, they've had some some recent challenges, but I think over the long term, I mean, the, the general idea is it's they, they want to take a cut of any sort of transportation that happens. And they think that, you know, the world can be more efficient. People can get places faster. Uh, different members of the transportation value chain can become more profitable if car ownership is reduced. And basically the idea is instead of owning a car that sits in your driveway or if you're a business, you have a vehicle that you own. You open an app and press a button and something comes and delivers you or an object or a good to your customer or to wherever you're trying to go. So it's a very ambiguous goal. You know, I think they're trying to take a slice of like total GDP uh, with their business. And I think they're in an interesting position to kind of do it. Uh, I yeah. kind of think about it as like cloud transportation. Uh, it's not quite the same thing. Um, but if you wanted a really easy way to think about it, you know, it's basically taking the concept of the cloud of like renting uh, fixed storage space from someone else. You're basically just renting a car every, a couple times a day or renting a vehicle. Or if you're a business, you're renting hundreds of vehicles per times a day. So you ended up tweeting about this about two weeks ago, actually. And the tweet was Uber's demand mode, rides, food delivery, groceries, micro mobility and transit all bundled into one subscription rewards program. So that is from my understanding is like what you're really excited about this uh, Amazon Prime or Uber Prime, but for all types of transportation. If there's been a lot of speculation of, let's say Uber is just rides, just jumping in a car and getting a you know virtual taxi. What's stopping Google from rolling that out with Waymo, you know, they're incorporating in Google Maps, What's stopping Lyft from competing on price? And if both of them have certain margins, if Lyft wants to increase market share, what's stopping them from lowering their price and then increasing market share? And Uber has to, has to respond to that and lower their prices. And then Lyft lowers their prices. And it's kind of a race to the bottom until you have whatever sort of the core business can do is sort of the core operating margin when the, the industry matures. Uh, and, you know, you kind of think a lot of people think Tesla is going to launch this autonomous Tesla taxi service. So if you just think about Uber on the taxi side, you, you kind of think, oh, wow, maybe this isn't that defensible. Uh, meanwhile, I think it's very, very hard to have a system where you open an app and 
press a button and you get picked up by someone in two minutes. That's pretty hard to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think even over a giant tech company like Google or maybe Tesla could, could figure it out. So, uh, you know, there's definitely, they need to figure out how do they defend against competitors. You know, if they add something like food delivery, uh, as a consumer, like me, when I'm on business and I'm expensing an Uber between two places I'm going or I order something on Uber Eats, uh, and then I'm, and, and, you know, I'm at, I'm at my house and with my family, I'm like, oh, I'm going to use the rewards from my Uber account to like get some free food or you know, it, it kind of this whole thing sort of compounds on itself where, you know, you have different pieces doing different things and, and you kind of have this rewards bundle so that are kind of keeping people in the ecosystem. If you kind of think of Uber's products, it's, you know, if you probably take a trip somewhere. Uh, maybe the average person in, in the U.S. or in a lot of developed markets, they get in a car and move somewhere two or three times a day. They're probably eating two to six or seven times a day. Uh, you know, how many of how many times a day can Uber interact with someone and, and have them open their app? I mean, I don't know if it's a good idea to order seven meals a day from Uber Eats, but, you know, if you have somebody who takes an Uber scooter or an Uber a jump bike or one of their micro-mobility vehicles to get to work, um, you know, you'd get and take an Uber between a meeting, you get lunch once or twice you order it through Uber. Um, you know, Uber has a product that some of its users are, are using and transacting with, and it's creating value for them five times a day. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make as much sense for somebody who's, you know, they have a couple hundred dollars in rewards and this built up purchasing behavior. And, you know, there's maybe other products that Uber's rolling out down the road, like grocery delivery, or they're adding financial services into the app where, you know, you actually have a loan through your Uber account. You know, this is not really something that exists now, but in a couple of years. So like, does it make sense for you to even use this Tesla taxi app? Maybe it's a little bit cheaper, but in your head, you're like, ah, I just use Uber for everything. You know, it's, it's similar to the Amazon bundle. I mean, a lot of it comes down to, can we make the experience as quick as possible? So with Amazon and the Amazon bundle, it's, can we get delivery? you know, in two days or two hours with Uber, it's, can we have enough liquidity in our driving fleet? And can we pick someone up within two minutes? Or can we deliver their food within 20 minutes? Um, and so the more activity that you have on the supply side, it just gets harder for other people to compete with. And let's say you're a driver, um, you probably, you know, a lot of people kind of think Uber has this problem with drivers churning, and there's a vocal a vocal group of people who have, you know, an issue with how Uber treats people or, you know, treat mm -hmm. some of its drivers. But at the end of the day, for a lot of people, Uber is a pretty phenomenal product. If you're just looking to basically, it's this, it's a similar thing on the consumer side as it is with the supplier side, they open the app and they press a button and they can start making money. You don't need to go to an interview and perhaps there's some bias in the interview process or you can't get enough hours or it's too far away, nobody's hiring in your area, you literally just open an app and you start making money. It's pretty incredible. And if you can layer on, you know, different ways to make money as somebody who's on the supply side. So let's say I, I really don't like talking to people and, you know, maybe I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want somebody to get in my car with me and I have to entertain them for half an hour while I drive them somewhere. But if I can instead just deliver some food to someone and you know what well, I'm waiting waiting for the order to get picked up I can go on my phone and play games mm -hmm. um, you know I can listen to music my music or a podcast in the car while I deliver the order 
maybe you don't want your car to smell like food. <laughs> so instead, what you're what Uber's doing recently is getting into logistic. Let's say there's a local flower shop where somebody placed an order online. They placed it through their point of sale system. The flower shop fulfilled it. The flower shop is really good at designing flowers and making custom bouquets that you know make people feel really good and you know, they charge $100 for it. But it's not their core competency to then deliver the flowers to a customer. I mean, that's something they probably give to FedEx or UPS, or maybe they have some employees who do it, but it's just, you know, it's a general labor. It's not, you know, with a lot of products, it doesn't take much skill to deliver it to a customer. So if you can then instead pay Uber to say, hey, we'll, Uber will charge us four bucks to deliver this thing, and we don't have to worry about hiring our own delivery fleet. Uber, for this Uber driver could then, could then say, oh, I don't like talking to people. I don't want my car to smell like food. I'll just deliver random parcels like replacing the, the USPS and re replacing FedEx within a city. And I can do that and make money. Uh, and then, so you kind of do these different things as a, on the supply side uh, and they've kind of got into other areas. Like they're doing Uber works. It's like a more of like a traditional staffing agency where, you know, you kind of think about it, it's a similar context. It's like cloud labor where if you're a business, you know, you, you a lot of businesses use staffing agencies, especially for a lot of these jobs that people who are driving for Uber are, you know, there's probably high overlap with potentially working in a factory and warehousing logistics in a restaurant in a hotel. Some of these are specialized and it's not quite as easy to like press a button and just flip on the, the workers and the, the labor. Uh, but it is an interesting thing where if somebody, if you're just looking to make money and you want a job where you work 30 hours a week and get what you need to get by, uh, which is what a lot of people are looking for with a job. It's a pretty big opportunity for these people to just have an app where they press a button and, and make money. Uh, and then similar things, you know, it, it's all bundled together. You know, maybe you have your banking through the Uber product and, you know, Uber gives you an advance on your payment and Uber knows that it can, you'll be able to pay back based on your prior work history uh, and it's all embedded in the product. Uh, and these are some things that are a couple of years away, but it's just ways to defend over time when you really think about kind of taking this to the to another level then you know you've got packages being picked up within the city moved around um, uber is working on a freight product so the idea there is basically any trucking company that's moving things across the state or across the country or you know maybe across the world one day let's say you're a small business somebody you know somebody across the country you know let's say you're in california someone in new hampshire order something from your business, you give it to the Uber driver who shows up and that Uber driver then brings it to a, a logistics center, gets on a truck, shipped across the country. You know, maybe there's a couple different legs in the journey. It's picked up from a, another distribution center in New Hampshire by a different Uber driver and they deliver it to the end customer. Um, and it just completely outsources a lot of that logistics process. Uh, and this is something that Uber doesn't quite have yet, but they're working on building it and it all kind of weaves into each other. Uh, so you just kind of think about all these different flywheels and moats that they're kind of building around different parts of the business. I, I just think that it's hard. It will be hard for anyone to come in and attack one spot. You'll have to really be focused and, and really nail one thing. Uh, and you'll have to figure out some kind of weakness that Uber has. And meanwhile, it's this, this is big business. They have billions of dollars in cash a lot of these underlying business models actually make money. It's just that as a whole, they're spending money, acquiring customers, building, building up the customer and the user base. Um, so it, it's all profitable at a unit level. It's just that it looks like they're losing a lot of money because they're growing and actually they're strengthening the business as they get bigger. 
that's kind of overall how I think about it. There's, you know, different nuances to go down different paths. Uh, but overall, you know, it's, it's a really interesting business. And I think it's one where you could, if you look at it today and look at it in 10 years, you can say, you know, this business will probably be about 10% bigger. Uh, so that's why I kind of just have it in a, in a personal account. I don't really touch and just kind of, kind of let it do its thing. Gotcha. Makes sense. I, a couple things to touch on there. Just anecdote actually on, on the supply side is I always thought of like Uber or these on-demand services is just the easy way to make a flexible life. But one thing that's key is at the beginning when you start. So if you need to just make money within a week, Uber or like any of these on-demand services are probably actually the only guaranteed way that you can do that. Before that never really existed. That in itself is, is magical. Yeah, I mean, you kind of think of how people used to make money. Even going back a couple hundred years ago, there's a king that had a castle and you worked in the field, you know, you, it's just like, it's a totally different dynamic. And it's just kind of the evolution of capitalism and, and taking labor into these different units that you can kind of uh, unlock quicker. It's really just unlocking liquidity and labor at the end of the day. I ended up writing two pieces. One was around Uber's like super app strategy. And the second one, after I learned they are deprioritizing these financial services projects, largely yep, because they're that. in this push, push for profitability. Um, yep. And, you know, the, the whole team essentially seems to be have like moved on. The head has announced he's yep. leaving the company. I'm curious, how do you think, does that affect at all your like view on like this long-term bullishness? Uh, not really. I mean, I think it's something that they could do later. I think Facebook's a classic example of WhatsApp. It was supposed to be this big opportunity. They'd make a bunch of money on it. It's literally done nothing since they acquired it, but it's still a massive opportunity that exists for Facebook. I think it's similar for Uber. You know, like you said, they're, they're focused on profitability right now. And the, the rides business collapsed. I don't know. I think it was 90% kind of at the peak of the, the lockdown. So they, that's, you know, 90% of their revenue that suddenly wasn't available to be reinvested in things that maybe strengthened other parts of the moat. But it's not like Tesla and Google or Lyft even are coming in and knocking on the door and like stealing all these users. They're a couple of years away. Uh, so I think Uber still has time. You know, it'll probably be something that a couple of years they revisit. You know, they're, they're really profitable. The stock is up analysts are super bullish investors are super bullish and they're okay with uber giving up some of that short-term profitability to reinvest in stuff that actually makes the business model and the competitive advantage stronger on, on that note you know grocery delivery they recently announced they were ramping that up and that this was an opportune time to say oh wow this is a big opportunity for us it was probably something that was in the pipeline um and it makes sense because it fits in with you know you drive every day you go you eat food every day I um, mean, for some of these drivers, maybe some people enjoy delivering food uh, or delivering groceries and like shopping and picking them out of some of these stores. So uh, I think that it, it makes sense for them to optimize their roadmap. Pretty much every business and every company right now had to change their product roadmap based on the state of the world. So I think it makes a lot of sense that Uber kind of reprioritized. I'm curious, you talked a little bit how you're thinking about the investment. You mentioned that this is like a, a long-term thing that you don't even really touch. How do you think about time frame? How do you think about price? What would have to happen for you to reevaluate you'd want to sell? Reevaluate to sell, it, it would be losing market share. Somebody else comes out with a better model that works that it looks like are stealing customers and stealing share. 
um, an, an inability to raise capital. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's important for a company like this where, you know, they, and they've done it. They've raised capital, reinvested in the business. I think, you know, there's probably a discussion to be had around how much capital they raise and sort of like what markets they entered into too. I mean, like with investing, a lot of it is understanding what the rest of the market is thinking. So if you go back and look at a company like Snap, perceived to have been crushed by Facebook coming out of this IPO, and suddenly they're now adding more users than they were in the quarters leading up to when Instagram first launched stories. Um, and the market didn't really get that. They, they, they waited. And now there's this perception of, oh, you know, Snap is back. But and even though it never actually happened, investors thought it was dying. So I think the stock was down at 1.80% from the highs. Uh, so the understanding how the rest of the market perceives something is actually an overlooked skill in investing. Is you've, got, you've got to understand uh, how other people are thinking about things. And you know, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think it can just be helpful when you know you know, kind of how other people are playing the game, it kind of affects how you play the game. Yeah. I, for me, it seems like the general sentiment on Uber is, is relatively bearish. They don't necessarily oh, yeah, uh, definitely. price in all this upside or these, these dreams that you, or visions that we just discussed. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think if you want to be an investor who outperforms the market, you have to find stuff before other investors know about it. I mean, if everybody knew and believed in this vision for Uber, it would be a, you know, $500 million company. I mean, it's like right now you go and look at Facebook and Amazon, like everyone knows that those are great businesses. The revenue and the cash flow is already there. People buy into this potential and they're trillion dollar companies. Whereas you look at a company like Uber, I didn't check where it was trading at before we started talking, but you know, it's just like a magnitude lower. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think part of it too, is just, you've got to figure out things that are going to happen before other people know them. And then I think, to your point, timing and catalyst is really important. What's the catalyst that will kind of get this taking off? And I think it's just profitability showing up in the gap financials that are reported. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting because if you look at some of their investor relations material where they kind of go down the different units, you know, they say that Uber rides has an EBITDA margin, you know, at like the core level of like 40%. And then I think yeah. EATS is something like 15%. Uh, so these, you know, kind of adjusted at scale, it's probably going to have EBITDA margins between 25, 35%. Like that's really good. You know, you'll probably get to a business that has revenue. You know, if you go out far enough, it could probably do a hundred billion in revenue one day. And what do you value business like that at? You know, I think there's some questions on, in some people's minds of when, when does it get there? Could Uber actually, you know, get there? And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you can get a hundred billion in revenue, but if you spend 150 billion and cash to get that revenue, it's not really real revenue. Um, so I think it's just understanding how other investors are going to perceive it and, and knowing and being able to figure out when that's going to flip. Well, Turner, thank you so much for your time and riffing uh, briefly with us today. Looking cool. forward to doing it again. Yeah, thanks for having me.